Hi. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Good morning. It's good to see you guys this morning. Um, Man and I had a great time on vacation, uh, lots of time visiting. Uh, we spent some time on the East Coast over the last couple weeks, two and a half weeks. And uh, yeah, it was just nice to be able to visit with family and friends and got to do a wedding. I think there's a picture there of that. Don't mind sharing that with you. That's the five of us now. So uh, Parker and Emma were married on June the 4th and I had the privilege of doing the wedding. And uh, yep, they're now. One of the things that I realized, one of the things I said to Amanda is I've done a lot of weddings in my life lots of weddings. And um, whenever I met with the bride and groom, that was pretty cool. And then I met their parents and their parents were always old, right? <laughs> well, well, now I'm, I'm like the parent of the bride or the, the groom. And I was like, man, does that mean we're actually old now? So, and watching Parker and Emma just hang out with all their friends and different things, realized, yeah, that we do have quite a few years on, on them. We're not as young as that we used to be. So we had a great time visiting there and, and having the, uh, the wedding. And then the next slide, we actually uh, got to uh, put our feet in the salt water, went for a swim in the salt water, and got to go to one of our swimming holes that Amanda and I actually found, uh, were introduced to 23 years ago when we were first married. And we got to go with Parker and Emma and Bray and, and get a little bit of time in the freshwater swimming as well. So it was a real good time away. And I was asked this week, um, are you glad to be back? You know, going home, did it make you want to stay at home? And uh, it's brutal hard to leave our kids. It really is. Uh, But we are so grateful uh, that the Lord has put us here in Lloydminster and at First Baptist Church. And as a man and I were talking, you know, on the plane as we're both a little teary, and we just said we couldn't do this if if we weren't going back to a place that we loved and that has made us to feel very welcomed and part of a community. So thank you very much for uh, welcoming us into your family and to allow us to be part of the ministry here at FBC. I have always been convinced that God has a sense of humor. And various times throughout life, he shows it. And we, you know, plan our sermon series a ways out. And I knew that I was going to be gone for most of the first part of of June. and, And then, so I knew that I would be preaching this Sunday. And originally, we had a different series planned for this time, and I looked at the topic, and I'm like, well, yeah, that's, that's good. I can preach on that one. And then because FBC Kids was going through the fruit of the Spirit in June and July rather than July and August, we switched to, uh, to match up with them. And I think God had a real good chuckle when he realized that I was going to be preaching on patience this morning. So... I, I'm not normally a very patient person. I can get, I can get rattled a little easier, easy if things don't go the way that I particularly want them to. Um, for example, um, we were getting ready to fly out of Edmonton to, to go out east, and we had to get up at some crazy time to catch the shuttle, like 10 after 2 in the morning, and uh, that always makes my mood really good. And um, so <laughs> we're, we're up at that time, and we get to the airport, and we had the, the you know, the scan the thing, printed our bag tags. We didn't even have to wait in line, in theory. You know, we could have just dropped our bags at the, the place, and we were already checked in, already had our boarding passes. I'm like, this is awesome, no waiting. 
So we got there, but because of the time of day, the line for dropping the bags wasn't open. And so then we had to get into the line with everybody else to go through. And that means we're waiting. And we waited for like, what, forever. And it was probably like 15 minutes. And just, you know, waiting and watching people go. And then, just to make my day that much better, this couple came in. And they started looking around. And they ducked under the line that was closed to check your bags and went right up to that kiosk. They already had, and I was just really struggling, you know. <laughs> I, was, I was really, really struggling at that point. You know, I'm like, this is not fair. They're getting to do what I want to do, but now I have to wait in this line. And Amanda was assuring me that everything was all right. It wasn't that big of a deal. And, and I didn't really listen at that moment, you know, because I just wanted to keep on going about how inappropriate it was that they were doing what I wanted to do, but I wasn't able to do. And it was just one of those moments where I realized, you know what, sometimes you just have to be a little bit more patient in the circumstances uh, that go on around you. And so we're going to be talking, and we've been in our series, if you haven't uh, been following along, we're in this Make Wave series, and looking at the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the characteristics that God wants to produce in us so that we can better project his image to those around us. And that's, that's why we were created. God created us in his image too, so that when people look at us, when people observe us, they get a little picture of what God is like in his nature and character. And when we place our faith and trust in Christ, that's what God is doing. He begins to restore us. And he begins to take those things that were sinful that point people away from Christ and point ourselves away from Christ and replace them with the things that point uh, others and ourselves to him. And that is when we're really clicking well in life. That's when life is truly satisfying. Because unless we're doing what we were designed to do, we won't be truly satisfied because there will always be a longing in our heart for something different, for something more. But when we allow the Holy Spirit to produce his fruit in our lives, then we're tracking on what is most fulfilling and satisfying in life. And so Galatians 5, uh, 22 and 23, that's sort of our theme verse for this series, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And after being in kids' ministry for so long, I can hardly read that verse without singing that song. Love, joy, peace, patience. You guys know that one? You know, it's just, I, we'd sing it almost weekly down in, in the East Coast, and so if I break out in song, I'm sorry. So so, but let's pray. Let's see. Uh, as we look at what patience is, we're going to look at a character in the Bible who exemplifies patience, and then we're going to see how that applies to our lives. But before we do that, let's, let's pray together. Father, I just want to thank you for this morning. I just want to thank you for the opportunity to, to be here, uh, to be uh, here with this church family today. And Lord, to have the opportunity to preach your word, and Lord, for them to have the opportunity to hear from you. Lord, thank you for the worship that we've already done. Thank you for the scripture that has been read and the opportunity to give to you from what you've given to us. Lord, we just want to pray that now as we uh, just dive a little bit deeper into your word that you would teach us, uh, help us to be willing students, uh, Lord, ready to, to change as you point out the things that need to be adjusted in our lives. Lord, I just thank you in your name. Amen. And so I think for the most part, we have a, a general understanding of what patience is. And, you know, as, as far as it goes, you know, as I was thinking about patience, it's like waiting in line. Are you, are you patient waiting in line? Are you patient with other people? And, and, and as I got to study this, this whole idea of patience, um, it, it took on a, a much richer meaning as I, as I came to understand a little bit more about what this fruit of the Spirit is. And some versions would translate that, that word patience as long-suffering. And I just want to read a couple definitions of what long-suffering means. 
Long-suffering, and this is Weiss word studies, is from a Greek word which speaks of the steadfastness of the soul under provocation. And so here again, it's this, it's this being steady. It's being willing to endure when our, when our soul is being provoked. And that could be just because, you know, things aren't going the way that we expected them to do. That could be because we're waiting in line. Just something stirs things up inside of us. And so it's being steadfast while that's happening. It includes the ideal of forbearance and patience endurance of wrong under ill treatment without anger or thought of revenge. And then Vincent in his word study says this, it's the, it is a patient holding out under trial, a long protracted restraint of the soul from yielding to passion, especially the passion of anger. And so we can see lots of applications for that in life, and we're going to see a number of those, but if we pop back into the Old Testament, we're going to see that, that long-suffering, that patience is also part of the character of God, the character and nature of God. And if you go to Exodus chapter 34, you can see where Moses is now, he's heading back up to Mount Sinai to meet with God. He had already been up there for a number of days, and he'd received God's law on the tablets of stone. And he had been walking back down and he saw the sin in the Israelite camp, the party they were having, the sin that they were committed. And he, in a moment of frustration and probably a little bit of impatience, smashed those original stone tablets that God had made. And so God says, Moses, you gotta come back up again. You're gonna have to cut out the stones yourself this time. Come up, meet with me, and I'll give you those, I'll give those commandments again. And so Moses goes up to meet with the Lord again, and, and as he's there, the Lord reveals himself to Moses. And he, he just really gives a definition of his character and nature, and you can see that in Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And so that phrase there, slow to anger, God says, part of my nature, part of my character is slow to anger. And that, that phrase is the same, is very similar to that word long-suffering in the New Testament. But it's really interesting when you look at the Hebrew definition of it, because if you translated that literally, it would say that God is long of nose. And I'm like, wow, that's, kinda, that's really kind of strange. And as we think about anger, heat is often used to describe an angry feeling. You might, somebody, you know, uh, might say they're hot-headed if they have a quick temper. You might say, man, that, that got them really hot under the collar. Or today, it might be just simply, man, that person was really heated. And so, so heat is often used to refer to, to anger. And if you look in Genesis 39, 19, they don't have that verse up there, but, but Potiphar's wife is there and she's telling Potiphar, she's lying to Potiphar, saying that Joseph had tried to sleep with her. And we see that that really means is that, that he got hot in the nose or that his nose burned hot. As he listened to this account from his wife, his nose burned hot. He was getting angry. And so when God introduces himself as long of nose, it means that it takes him a really long time to get his nose hot. Or in other words, it takes a really long time for him to get angry. And so, so as we think about that, and we think about that phrase, you as parents, I, I just challenge you this week to, you know, you're at home with the kids or whatever, and they're pushing your buttons because, you know, school's over and they're going to be in your face a lot more now, all right? And you're home with them. I, I, I just challenge you, you know, tell them, hey, you're making my nose hot. 
you know, and just see what they do, right? You know, see if they can figure out what's going on and what's about to happen, or, you know, just maybe you'll have a little time for a Bible lesson too, but you don't just help them not to, tell them not to get that nose hot. But in all seriousness, we can get our nose hot about a lot of different things, a lot of different things, and yet we are called to be patient, to be long of nose. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, trust the process? Has anybody heard that phrase before? This is, this is a phrase that you hear in sports quite a bit, you know, and normally management and, and coaching staff are encouraging players and fan base, you know, trust the process, which normally means, I know we suck right now, but eventually something good's going to happen, we're going to win, all right? The Maple Leafs have been using this phrase for years, and uh, they really have a good understanding of, of telling us to trust the process, all right? Eventually, they're hoping to win, uh, you know? And it's that thing that, hey, we're building towards something. It's going to take time. Trust it. It's going to work. And this also, you know, in, in, it kind of is in play in, in getting over injury is another place. Um, this year, uh, after, just before Christmas, I started playing basketball again. And my Achilles were in rough shape. I mean, I'd play on, on Sunday night, and then Monday morning, I'd be going down our front stairs, and I'd be like holding on to the railing and the other railing and just limping down the stairs. My Achilles were that locked up. And so I, I was referred to an athletic therapist and I, I went to her and uh, she would do these, this thing and put heat on it, ultrasound, all this stuff. But then she would say, now you have some work to do. And she would give me stretching exercises and just exercises to do. And I got to tell you, one of the things that I dislike most in life is stretching. I absolutely just, I don't like it. And I would argue with Haley and I would say, listen, you know, do I have to hold it for that long? Do I have to do that many reps? And she would stick to her guns and she would say, no, this is the way that you have to do it. And I did it and now my Achilles are better, all right? If I hadn't trusted the process, if I hadn't done the work, I wouldn't have received that, that well, that, you know, the benefit of not having sore Achilles in the morning and all of those things. And so in life, we have to learn to trust the process. Part of long-suffering is, is trusting that God is doing things even when we're not sure what he's up to. But we need to learn to say, okay, God, in this moment, when this situation wants to make me burn hot, I'm gonna trust the process and show your grace, your kindness in this situation. God, when things aren't going the way I expected, I'm going to show your, I'm going to show your nature of long-suffering by not getting heated. And that's what we have to do in life. And, and in order for us to fully understand this, I think we need to look at a Bible character. You know, I was, I was at home, uh, you know, talking with my dad uh, and I was saying, man, I'm preaching on long suffering. Like, how can that be exciting? You know, how can that be an uplifting message? Long suffering comes out of, you're going through a whole bunch of trials, so you have to forbear. It's like, how does that really hit well, you know, when you're preaching? And dad's like, well, why don't you look at the life of David? There was a lot of things that he had to endure uh, in, in his life in order to get to the place that God wanted him. That might be a good example. And I said, thanks, dad. I said, that's a great idea. I will do that. And I'm going to tell everybody it was your idea. So if the message is no good, you can call him. All right. <laughs> tell him it just didn't work. So if you want to pop in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 16, uh, we're going to take a real, um, real overview of David's life, and we're going to see the fact that David, in many ways, um, gives us example of being long-suffering, not just in one situation, but in multiple ways. He demonstrates what it means to be long of nose, to, to be patient uh, in situation. And so 1 Samuel 16 is this account where Samuel is sent to Bethlehem. And this is a super secret mission, 
all right? God says to Samuel, I want you to go and I want you to anoint one of Jesse's sons as kings. I want you to go and anoint someone as king, basically is what it says. And Samuel's like, well, God, Saul's the king and if he hears about this, he's gonna get really mad and he'll probably kill me. And, and, and God says to Samuel, go, this is the job that I want you to do. And so he gets to Bethlehem and he meets Jesse and, and he says to Jesse, can you show me your sons? And I don't even know if he had told Jesse exactly what he was doing at this point. Um, but he, Jesse brings his sons out before him and, and he puts seven of his eight sons before Samuel, one at a time, and God keeps saying, nope, nope, nope. And Samuel's kind of getting a little confused and you can see that confusion a little bit here in this verse. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, well, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. And so this is the beginning of the recorded record of David's life. And many resources that I read, I was trying to figure out how old was he. Uh, most of the commentators agree that David was under 15 years of age at this point. And as we begin to track through his story, I mean, obviously he's anointed king, but he doesn't become king right then. There's this waiting process. There's this process where he has to go through the things that God wants him to endure to get to the point where he's ready to reign. We're gonna see how David responds to that. As you jump over to chapter 17, this is probably one of the most common Bible stories ever. It's David and his fight against Goliath. But I want you to see something that happened even before that fight where David chooses to be long-suffering instead of letting his emotions or his anger take over in his life. And so David is there, he's gone on his father's command to bring food and provisions to his brothers. Um, and, and his brothers are there in the war camp and they're, they're pitched on one side of the valley and, and the Philistines are pitched on the other side of the valley. And for a number of days, the Philistines have been sending out their champion, the giant Goliath. He's like over nine feet tall. And he'd come out and he'd challenge basically Israel to say, hey, send one guy out. We'll just have single combat. No need to shed a lot of blood. We're just gonna have a, a single one-on-one -on -one comment or, or combat. And if I beat your guy, well, then you'll serve us. If your guy beats me, well, then we'll serve you. And Goliath was doing this day after day after day, and Israel just see him, and they, they just chicken out. They're just like, no, we can't fight this guy. He's huge. And then David shows up on the scene. Young man, likely under 20 at this point, because uh, at 20, you were allowed to join the army. And so David, based on what we see in Scripture, would have been willing to join the army, and so he wasn't yet part of it. So he's probably under 20 years old. And so he comes and he hears Goliath putting this challenge out there and he's a little annoyed. He's like, well, how come nobody's doing anything? And you can see in 1 Samuel 17, 26. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that they should defy the armies of the living God? David was offended. David was bothered. Hey, this guy is defying God. He's defying our armies. Why isn't somebody doing something about this? And so he's asking around the camp, what's gonna happen if, if somebody does this? And then his brother, his oldest brother, catches wind of this. And there probably was a little jealousy in this whole mix too, now that David's been anointed king. And now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Here, Eliab gets a little hot in the nose. He gets a little heated. 
And he's kind of angry at David for making these inquiries. And so he goes right after David. You know, you're neglecting your responsibilities. Your heart is wicked. You're just here to see combat. Like, he's really going after him. He's really cutting David down. It's really interesting to see how, how David responds. In 1 Samuel 17, 29, 30, it says, And David said, What have I done now? Was it but, not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him as before. This really interesting thing goes on as, as David's you know, saying, hey, I, I'd step up and do this. I, I trust God. I know that I could take this guy on. And his brother just, just, just cuts him right out at the knees and just questions his character, questions his motives, just really tears him down. What would you do in that situation? I know what I would do, all right? I fight with my mouth first, right? And I would have just looked and just to say, well, why aren't you stepping up? I would have called him out for being a chicken, for not going to fight Goliath right there and then. You know, and then I probably would have scanned my memory for some time in the past when he had also chickened out of something and made sure that everybody around knew what he had done and how cowardly he had been before. That's where I would have gone. Some of you might have just taken a more direct approach, you know, just whooped him in front of everybody or gave him a good punch in the nose, right? Just say, hey, this is, you know, I'm not a chicken, you're the chicken and I'm going to show you how much better I am than you, you know? That's not what David does. Instead of lashing out, instead of letting his passion control him, David chooses to be patient. He chooses to be long-suffering. Instead of lashing out, he just, he just diffuses the situation. What have I done wrong? And then he just turns away and, and, and talks to somebody else. And man, that's hard to do. That's hard to do, but man, oh man, it's the right thing to do. And we're going to look at that in, in more detail in, in just a little bit. I'd encourage you to read through the rest of chapter 17. It's a great chapter. Spoiler alert, Goliath doesn't make it out of the chapter. David does. And so his victory over Goliath really kind of pumps him up throughout the, the rest of the, the, the land. You know, people start to take notice of this guy. Man, this, this kid, this young man just defeated Goliath. And then because of what David did in defeating Goliath, then all of the, uh, the army chases the Philistines. They defeat the Philistines. So he really gets this really awesome response for, for doing what the Lord had called him to do. And as that happens, um, the Bible says this, and David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. So that Saul set him over the men of war, and this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of, the, of Saul's servants. David's success was good for everybody. He was learning the, leaderships that he's going, the leadership skills that he would need when he became king, and Israel's enemies were being held at bay. Things were going well. The people loved him. Saul loved him. This was, this was awesome. And then one day, things changed. Israel's coming back from battle and Saul, the victorious king, is leading them through and, and people come out and there's always this welcome home party and they're singing, dancing, all of those things out in the street and, and said this, and as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all, and of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his tens of thousands. That wasn't a good thing for David. That wasn't a good thing because King Saul all of a sudden starts to begin to put the pieces together in his head. He begins to get very, very jealous of David. And he realizes that, wait a second, David is going to be the next king of Israel. Perhaps he's going to take my spot. If he doesn't take my spot, he, my sons will never reign. 
And Saul begins to get jealous and he actually gets insanely jealous. The next day, uh, David was there and one of David's jobs had been to play the, the lyre, the harp in front of King Saul whenever King Saul got worked up. He'd play that lyre and Saul was sitting there and, and he just picks up a spear and decides he's gonna pin David to a wall and just hucks the spear at David. David manages to escape and if you read through scripture, thankfully Saul is not very good with his spear because there's three times that he tries to pin David to the wall and one time he tries to kill his own son Jonathan and he misses every time. And so we're really thankful that Saul didn't know how to throw a spear. But David now realizes that things have changed. I am sure he thought, man, this is the next step. This is, this is what God is, is working to make me king. I've, I've had this victory. People are you know, celebrating me. I'm moving up in the ranks in Saul's army. This is, this is gonna come together really, really smooth. Well, all of a sudden that javelin comes at him. And then Saul puts people outside of David's house to watch for when he returns so that when he returns that he could be assassinated, that he could be killed. And you just have this, this battle, I'm sure this conflict, David going, okay, what's happening now, Lord? Why is this changing? I thought we were on the, the road to success. I thought we were on the road where you had me going. You've promised that I'm going to be king and now I'm fleeing for my life. You know, you can read his story of escape. I think it's in 1 Samuel 19, how he actually manages to escape, how his wife helps him. But you know what? Here's this, this, this whole situation going on. But then David writes this psalm, Psalm 59. While this is going on, while people are watching his house to kill him, he says this. Each evening they come back howling like dogs and prowling about the city. And there they are, bellowing with their mouths with swords in their lips. For who they think will hear us? But you, O Lord, laugh at them. You hold, you hold all the nations in derision. O my strength, I will watch for you. For you, O God, are my fortress. My God in his steadfast love will meet me. God will, God will let me look in triumph on my enemies. And then in 59, uh, verses 14 to 17, each evening they come back howling like dogs and prowling about the city. They wander about for food and growl if they do not get their fill. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my, in, in the day of my distress. Oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you. For you, O oh God, are my fortress the God who shows me steadfast love. Here's the thing, David recognizes the situation. He's like, man, these, these guys are out to kill me. They're out to get me. This is not a good thing, but I'm not going to dwell on the situation. I'm going to dwell on the one who will sustain me through the situation. So God, you're my strength. You're my fortress. You're the one that I take refuge in. And that's part of long suffering is to realize, guys, it, when the plan seems to go off the rails, when the plan seems to go off the rails, we need to trust that God, this, this situation isn't good. I'd really like to be delivered from it, but I trust you and I'm gonna find my strength to deal with it uh, in this situation or ever from you. I'm gonna find your, my strength in you. So David flees, he gets out of there and he ends up uh, in, this, in this area known as Gath. And interesting, Goliath was Goliath of Gath. And so he's back into an area seeking refuge from Saul in an area where he had just defeated one of their, their champions. And so he's there and I think he's just trying to go incognito based on what you can see in, in scripture. He's just kind of trying to keep his identity you know, under wraps. And while he's there, some of the men recognize him and they bring him before the king. And David begins to worry, hey, you know, if I don't do something, this king's gonna kill me. And so we see uh, what David did in, in 1 Samuel 21, uh, verse 13. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, behold, you see the man is mad. Why have you brought him to me? 
Do I lack madmen that you have uh, you've brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And so once again, David escapes an unpleasant situation. What do you think an anointed king really wanted to fake insanity to escape? Do you think that that's how he felt things should go in his life? Uh, I know I would struggle with that. God, what are you doing? Why are you putting me in this situation where I, where I have to, to fake insanity? But it was right after this event that, that, that David wrote the psalm that, that Kim read for us this morning. Just want to read one verse from that. It says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Here's a man who's taking, uh, he's trusting the process. He knows what God has promised him. He's waiting for that promise to be fulfilled. And yet, even in the midst of the process, even when the process seems to be going all wacky, he's like, hey, God is awesome. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And then following that, David leaves Gath and he goes to this cave and the cave is in this area known as Adullam and that's where his, his, his family finds out that that's where he is and they go to see him and we can see the description of what happened here. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he, began, he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. Well, that's a pleasant thing, isn't it? You're gonna be king someday. You're fleeing for your life. You're running for your life. You end up in this cave and oh, God's gonna send people to you to, to gather around you. But who does he send? People who are in distress, people who owed money, people who are bitter in soul. That means these people, life had just overwhelmed them and they just had to leave their area. They were in debt that they couldn't pay back and so they were basically, they were homeless. They had to find a place uh, to, to go. And then the people that were distressed or bitter in soul, that means they are just really grumpy people, right? And that's who God sent to David. What does David do? right? He becomes commander over these people. He leads these people. And if you read later on in 2 Samuel, the list of some of David's mighty men, some of the men that came in that 400 were these men that did amazing acts of bravery and amazing military conquests. See, David just didn't go, oh, this isn't going where I want it to go. He said, well, this is the process. And I'm going to step up and, and what, where God has placed me now, I'm going to do the very best that I possibly can. If he wasn't long-suffering, he would have just given up. If he wasn't long-suffering, he wouldn't have looked at the potential that people had. He was willing to trust the process. He was willing to be long-suffering and to do his very best where God had him in the moment so that when he was king, he was ready to do his very best for God in that moment as well. And things shift a little bit and Saul again just decides it's time to hunt down David and he begins to, to go on he takes his military effort and he's, he's chasing down David. And they get out into the wilderness and finally they get, the armies are very close to where David is. And Saul, uh, David and his men are actually hiding in a cave. And Saul has to go in, the Bible says to relieve himself, you take that wherever you want in your mind, all right? I, I have a pretty good idea what it means, all right? But he, Saul is in the cave and he's relieving himself in the cave and David's men are like, David, this is awesome. You've literally caught Saul with his pants down. Take him out, right? There's just no way, right? Take him out. And, and, and they're like, this is, this is God's gift to you. It's, it, you know? And David's response is amazing. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, 
to put out his hand against him, seeing that he is the Lord's anointed. David said, you know what? It's not my place. Not my place to take Saul out. It's not my right to, to jump the process that God has for me. And so he confronts Saul, cuts a piece of Saul's robe off, and after Saul's out of the cave, he you know, says, hey, Saul, I could have killed you. I didn't kill you. And Saul says, oh, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll leave you alone. I'll, you know, and he, he leaves. A little while later, Saul gets angry again, and he's out hunting David. And he, they camp, and again, they're very close to where David and his men were. And the Bible says that, that Saul's camped right in the middle of the camp, and his men sleep around him, you know, a, a large army sleeping around him. And David says to his men, you know, these, these, these castaways of society, who wants to come down with me? Who wants to sneak down into the camp while everybody's sleeping? This guy Abishai says, I'm going to go. So David and Abishai, they're sneaking through this camp of thousands of men. And the Lord had put a deep sleep on them, but David and Abishai didn't know that at the time, and they're sneaking through. They come to the center of camp where Saul's laying, and, and I, I think I'd really like to hang out with Abishai. This guy's, this guy's hilarious. And, and he looks, and he sees Saul, and he says to David, he said, listen, he said, and this is what it says. He said, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear. I will not have to strike him twice. You know, Abishai's like, oh, we got him. And I'll do it, just one stroke of the spear and we'll never have to think about this guy again. David says this, do not destroy him for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him or his day will come to die or he will go down into the battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but take now this spear that is in, at his head and the jug of water and let us go. Talk about patience. Saul was in the position that, that had been promised to David and David's like, you know what? It's not mine to take. God has a plan, God has a process and I'm going to trust that rather than taking Saul's life. So where do we go from here? What do we learn from this in the process? First of all, the thing that we can learn about is when we think about making waves and having an impact as we let the Holy Spirit renovate our lives and, and allow his fruit to develop into our lives, the thing that, that we first learn is that we can learn that um, David's response to others teaches us how we should shape our response to others. Again, as Saul was pursuing him, David could have let that hatred burn up inside of him. It could have been so tiring. It would have been so wearying to just to have somebody chasing you all the time wanting to kill you. I think that would get old really quick. And here he had that opportunity to kill him, but he doesn't. He just says, you know what? This is in God's hands. I'm not going to respond with um, violence to violence. I'm not going to respond with anger to anger. And Paul uh, kind of develops that a little bit more in Romans 12. It says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How do we respond? How do we show patience, the fruit of the spirit uh, of patience, of long-suffering in our everyday situation? Well, if you have somebody in your life that just pushes all the wrong buttons all the time, how do you respond? At work, maybe they, they beat you down. At school, maybe they're making fun of you. And, you know, just in life, somebody is just constantly at you. How do you respond? Here we see that we're to respond with kindness. We're to respond with love. We're to respond and just say, you know what? 
God's gonna deal with you for the bad that you're doing. My job is to show you kindness and love and compassion. So David he did that very similar to Saul, spared his life, responded with kindness instead of being violent. To his brother, he didn't escalate the situation, tear his brother down, he just turned and just walked away. He said, what, what did I do wrong? And walked away. As we want to make waves around us, we wanna have an impact around us. Those people that just drive us crazy, that are people that are unkind to us, show them love, show them kindness. That's what the fruit of the Spirit does. It, it shows God's character and nature by doing what is contrary to our character and nature. Second thing that David uh, can teach us that we can learn from David is that we should learn from the present rather than wishing for the future. As David was there in the wilderness and you know, waiting to become king, and actually, you know, as a shepherd, he learned that, he could, uh, that God could help him in the face of anything that is frightening and frightening situations. As he played the harp for Saul, he learned about how to rule and how to be a king. As a fugitive, he learned that broken people could become great if they are properly led. And maybe you're in a situation like David. Maybe you're in that situation where you know, hey, this is where I'd like to be. This is where I want to go. And, and, and that wanting to be there maybe is causing you some discontentment in the moment. But God calls us to be long-suffering. God calls us to, to be patient and to say, hey, where you are right now is where I have you. Excel where you are. Learn as much as you can where you are because I am teaching you something so that when you get to where you want to go, you're properly prepared for it. So being long-suffering is not always wishing for the future, but being uh, willing to excel uh, in the present. And then the third thing that we see is that long-suffering, uh, it, that Long suffering actually allows us to focus on God in the most difficult seasons of life. I'm just gonna read Psalm 142 for you. It says this, with my voice I cry out to the Lord, with my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him, I tell my troubles before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see, there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my per persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me. You will deal bountifully with me. Here David is writing this psalm, and this is after that second encounter with Saul, after Saul is hunting him down again. And I mean, this has got to be tiring. This has got to be wearisome. And, and David is honest about that. David said, this is God, this is, I'm just exhausted. I'm, my soul faints. I'm just crying out to you. I'm pouring my complaint out for you. This situation is not cool. But even in the middle of that, he says this, but you are my refuge. You see what David learned and what we need to learn about forbearance is that sometimes we will endure awful situations. But in the middle of those situations, in the midst of those situations, we need to learn that God is our refuge. And that, him, that it is him that enables us to walk through those difficult times as a good witness and a testimony for him. In the past year, uh, I have had the opportunity uh, to observe uh, somebody close to me walking through a very difficult time. He and his family encountered a tragedy that's going to change their lives forever. And I've watched him time after time just bring glory to God and focus on how good has God, God has been to him and his family. I've been talking to him and I said to him, how do you have such a good attitude in such a difficult circumstances? And he said to me, he said to me this, he said, Bruce, 
You just have to choose not to let the bitterness set in. Times are hard. Times are going to be hard. But it's our choice and we have to ask God, God, don't, don't let the bitterness set in. Let me see you as my refuge. Let me see you as my strength. And as I've watched this, this individual go through that, he's made waves in my life. He's, he's taught me so much in my life about long suffering. And he's making impact, he's making waves in the, in the community around him as well. And so I challenge you today, are you long suffering? Are you willing to trust the process? Are you willing to say to God, God, I, I, I'm gonna put things into your hands. And as we close, there's one, one thing that wasn't really fit with the life of David, but I think it's really important that we talk about this morning. It's just the fact that God is extremely long suffering in our lives. As we think about God, uh, and maybe you're here today and you've, you've heard about God and you've heard about the fact that, that he loves you and that he wants to forgive your sins. He wants to welcome you into his family. In fact, that you've heard that he's loved you so much that he sent Jesus and punished Jesus for your sins so that you could be saved, that you could be forgiven of your sins and have eternal home in heaven. And I want you to understand today that as, as you wait to respond to that, you are, you are really putting God to the test. You're, you're, you're really causing him to be long-suffering with you. And it's something that we have to be grateful for, that he's willing to be long-suffering, but it's also something that there's really no point in waiting because he loves you and he wants you to be brought into that family. Second Peter 3, 9 says this, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's, not, God's desire is not to send somebody to an eternity separated from him. God's desire is to, to reach out and to welcome you into his family as you place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I would challenge you today, don't, don't test God's patience any longer. Just place your faith and trust in him. Receive that benefit of salvation. Receive the benefit of knowing him as personal savior here on earth and having that assurance of being with him forever in heaven. And for those of us that, that know him, that know Christ as our personal Lord and savior, just think about the times in our lives on a daily basis where we test God's patience. I know that myself, daily, I fall short of what God's standard is, you know, in my words, in my thoughts, in my actions. Daily, and yet he's patient with me, he's loving me, and even using those failures of mine to teach me, to grow me more and more and more into his character. You know, as we think about that, I just think, how do we respond to others? Sometimes, many times, it's, it's easy to become a little bit critical of the people who aren't at our spiritual level, to the people who we know know Christ, but, but they're not living the way that God wants them to, to live. And we can, we can have a couple attitudes. We can just be like, oh, look at them. Too bad. They're not living for the Lord. Oh, they should be doing this better. Or we could show them the same long suffering that God shows us. We could come alongside of them and, and we don't tolerate that sin. We don't say, oh, that's okay. Just pretend it didn't happen. But we lovingly come alongside and say, you know what? You're not living the best that God has for you. You're not representing Christ well. But hey, this area is not so good, but I've noticed this in you. I've seen these great qualities. And we don't tear them down. We certainly want to build them up in, in, in correction, but we also want to build them up in love and encouragement and, and point out the things that they're doing well for God. Because that's what God does for us. And so as we seek to grow in our own faith and as we seek to make waves around us, we need to, to have that spirit of long-suffering. Not letting ourselves get heated when we see somebody fail, but be willing to come alongside of them and say, you know what, that wasn't your best moment. But here's how we can do better. 
and I'll walk that road with you. And so today as we close, are we, we willing to trust the process? Are you willing to trust the process in your life? And maybe that's, maybe you gotta change some of the way that you've reacted to people, those people that are constantly pushing your buttons. Maybe there's a different way that you can approach, a more loving way, a more kind way to approach them. Maybe you're just not quite where you thought you would be at this point in life. Don't always wish for the future, don't always wish for the future, but just to say, God, you got me here for a reason. Help me trust the process. Help me learn what I need to learn now so that I can move on to where that I'm supposed to be. And then finally, we just, just need to be patient with others. We need to be willing to say, hey, you know what? You might have failed. You might have fallen on your face. But let's pick up and walk this road together so that we can both glorify God in a much better and healthier way. Let's close in prayer. Father, I just want to thank you for today. Uh, just thank you for this opportunity to, to be here, Lord, to hear from your word. Thank you that you're patient with us. Thank you that you don't burn hot against us the moment we do something wrong, but you are patient in drawing us back to yourself and correcting us. Thank you that you have a plan and a purpose in our lives. And Lord, that may be in the midst of trial. That could be in the midst of just not being where we want to be at the moment. That could be in the midst of, you know, people just mistreating us. But all of those things give us opportunity to show the fruit of the spirit of patience. Lord, help us to do that well. Just thank you in your name, amen. Thanks for being here this morning. We look forward to seeing you maybe out of camp this afternoon. Have a great day, God bless.